Hallelujah. Bwana sifiwe. Praise Jesus. We are always humbled. Counting sincere privilege anytime we have the opportunity to minister to Victory Faith Church. And as Pastor Davis is saying, our journey began with you 2015. When we trained a small team from this church, which had been coordinated by one of you, then Gladys Mukami, now she's Gladys Karani. She brought a small team to your office in Westlands, and we trained them. Little did we know that that team will catch fire. And that fire is still continuing, led by the Makindus. Uh, Geoffrey Makindu and his wife Agnes have been very committed to this task. And a number of team, a number of you are working together. And we thank the Lord. One of the blessings we have with you is that faithfulness in starting with the work of God. That you believe you can serve God through KCF by supporting financially and also having a team that goes to school. Not many churches have that. Uh, we have about 15 to 20 churches that support KCF. But one thing about Victory Faith is that you have been very consistent every month. And uh, in a year, this church gives KCF 504,000 Kenya shillings in a year. <laughs> Hallelujah. And that is the highest amount we receive from any one single church. The highest amount uh, we receive from one, any one single church. You are the only church, one of the few churches, not the only, but one of the few churches that stood with KCF even during the COVID period. Big churches told us, we can't support anymore. We are also struggling. But you know, you are not a large church. You are not many. We have churches which has up to three services. When I was visiting a bishop, he told me that one Sunday they collect like five million. One single Sunday. But that same church told us during the COVID period they could not support. And therefore we bless the Lord for you. May the Lord bless you and stand with you in all that you do. Hallelujah. We are humbled to partner with you. The work of high school is going on. Just this morning from Friday, we have been having, we all, all our leaders in the nation gathered at St. Francis in Mwiki. And I was coming from there this morning to be here. Over a hundred of them came. And what we were doing was to refocus their attention consolidate their energies to ensure that they understand what is before us and why they should get even more involved with high school work. And uh, when I was coming, they sent you the greetings. Brother Makindo himself was part of them. 
because he's a leader of the Westland sub-county, and it was very transformational. I must say, you have a great pastor. I met, uh, we were discussing on Thursday with Pastor Davis. You could see his heart, the sacrifices he has made, and I was really touched by the many testimonies he gave me. I left there very encouraged, saying that what the Lord is doing in my life, I'm not the only one. There are many people like that is, is using in our nation, and the Lord bless you, Davis, for your leadership and the direction you're giving to the church. I want to, this morning, if you can project, to look at why focus on students? <clears throat> why should we focus on students? And my real focus will be the child as the center of battlefield. That the question we are asking, do we still have children in our control or somebody else has run away with them? The book of Daniel chapter 1 verses 3, this is King James. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring one of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish of good appearance, skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned then, uh, in verse 5, the king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. And you can read more and more. He says among these were Daniel, Ananias, Mishael, Azariah, of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshus, Ananias he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, Azariah he called Abednego. In verse 8, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine he ate. And the wine he drank, therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. <clears throat> I came with a young man from our head office. Francis, you can, you can wave. Right. You'll be seeing him at the desk. He will be selling some books. My name is Joseph Odingo. Born again. I'm married with one female wife. <laughs> and uh, together we have two daughters and two sons. We are serving the Lord. Hallelujah. If we had not come from the training, I would have come with them, but I didn't go back home. 
There are some realities I want us to look at for a moment. Even as I'm saying, the center of the battle of any church, of any Christian, is young people. The child, the center of battle. But before we look at that, just roll over to the next. The possibility of losing this generation to Satan is very real and very possible. The reality of us losing the battle of the future is very real. Why? You study the world over, it is becoming less and less Christian. Whether you study American Christianity, Kenyan Christianity, Christianity is not becoming the center of religion. Believers lack the urge and the commitment to evangelize the world for Jesus. That's what Deacon was saying here. Peter faced it because people want to be in comfort zones. The things of heaven are second, not a priority. That's why it is possible to lose the generation. In the midst of all this, Satan has continued with his plan to destroy the foundations of Christianity. Just change it. In the midst of all this, Satan has continued with his plan to destroy the foundations of the Christian faith. The Bible says the foundations be destroyed. What shall the righteous do? Because the devil cannot take over a generation. He can't take over families until the, until the foundations upon which the family is built, until the, the foundation that, that which the Christian faith is built is demolished. Daniel understood this. Uh, David understood that. His plan is to destroy young people before they fulfill the plan of God in their lives. Pharaoh, he killed newborn young Hebrew boys. And the focus was very careful. Targeted the male child. Because if you want to destroy a nation, you first make sure boys grow up deformed in the understanding of who they are. That's the first thing to destroy a nation. Because with that, you ensure that they don't become fathers. Because with that, you ensure they don't become husbands. With that, you ensure when they become men, they don't know their responsibility. Pharaoh understood that. He says, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women, see them on birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. That was very carefully planned. I didn't know what he was doing. Political leaders understand this strategy more than anyone else. Hitler, when before, way back before he became the vice chancellor, the chancellor of Germany, 1922, 
he saw the future of Germany in his hands and wanted to use Germany to control the world. What did he do? 1922, he formed youth group they were calling the Hitler Nazi Youth Group. The youngest person was 10 years. The oldest, 18. When he began, he was just building another movement. With 1,200, 1933, when the world was entering the First World War, that movement had moved from 1,200, they were now 5 million. The strategy used, he banned any youth group in Germany. The National Scouts, all those youth groups were banned. The only youth group which was allowed to admit young people into it was the Nazi youth group. He formed academies in every sector in Germany. So young boys as young as six years will be admitted into these academies. When he began, he, said, he told them carefully, the suffering in Germany is being caused by people who are not Germans. The problem you are facing here in Germany are due to non-Germans. If anybody who is not a, non, who is not a German is not a human being, you will do yourself justice to kill them. In the process of time, he zeroed in his teaching against the Jews. And he told them that Jews are not human beings. And during the Holocaust, this young Nazi Hitler group were able to murder six million Jews. So horrific experiences. Because that man knew for me to hold the future. I get young people. And the enemy of our lives, Satan himself, knows that. First Timothy chapter 4 verse 1. Now the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing, to seducing spirits and doctrines of the devil. And you know what this means? That people will follow evil ways and justify it as a new way of life. And one tactic the devil uses, he uses what we call thought reform or brainwashing. Brainwashing is a careful process which repositions the mind and alters the attitudes beliefs and behaviors of one person so that they accept what is wrong as right and what is right as wrong. It is called the thought reform or simply mind reposition. A careful process that makes the person is removed all the things he has believed to be true, all the things they are believed to be right, are carefully removed and they are replaced with the things which are evil, which are wrong. Then a child is growing up knowing that every value 
every good thing my mother taught me is wrong. So they replaced them with what they call new way of life, civilization, new standards. So children are being raised up not having the faith of the Bible. That's what he does. The tool he uses is what he calls brainwashing. The intention is to turn the person against themselves and against God. And while Pharaoh and Herod literally killed the male children, in our text, Nebuchadnezzar chose a new approach, which I want to take you through for a moment. What he did when he became the emperor of the world, he has just conquered Judah. The whole world now is in his hand. And he knew one thing. He can't govern the world if he didn't have the young people. Part of the brightest young people understood the technology and the science of the world were not found in Babylon. They were found in Judah. In his conquest during the Jeremiah's time, he conquers Jerusalem and part of these sons of Judah are taken to Babylon. And therefore him to rule, he made a process that will first conform them to the Babylonian thinking, to the philosophy of that nation. And with that he knew he will conquer and conquer and rule the world. He brainwashed them. He controlled or altered what they believed, what they think, what they valued. The process was to reposition their mind from the God of Israel to the God of the Babylonians. By this, he knew he could rule the world. And he did the following five things to achieve this. Number one, the Bible says that these boys were called to the state house. They were called to the palace. That meant the first thing he did was to remove them from their families. Remove them from the control of their parents. When they are out from the hands of their parents, he gave them under the man called Ashpanes. And the tactic of the devil is divide and rule. For him to control any nation, he first ensures he makes rules. Government changes rules to ensure the parent is not the authority over the child. He ensures that children can grow up learning from somebody else, but that person is not a parent. He uses divide and conquer. And in the tactic of this, they show the parent as outdated and civilized. Someone who cannot understand the needs and the problems and the issues of the young person. So when they want to make a decision, the parent is not the authority to be consulted. They come to you to tell you what they have decided, not to seek for your opinion. Only in our generation do children teach 
and parent the parent. So there are parents who are busy learning from their children. What is the new song? How is it dance? What's the new language? What is the new dressing style? What's the new fashion in town? Children are not getting that from their parents. They get that. Parents get that from their children. Satan and his evil men become the source of teaching and indoctrination. The first thing he does, he takes children out of the hands of the parents. Listen to this man. He's a top influencer in the music world. His name is David Crosby. From the group Crosby, he says, I'm just talking about changing their value system, which removes them from their parents' world very effectively. So he knows what he's doing. He talks about changing their value system. That's the first stage the war facing you and I goes through. You see, the question we are battling with, if the war is to that level, then are Christians prepared to enter into that war and fight the war? If this is the plan this man has to run away with a child, how many Christians are saying, I will lay my life, fight the battle, not for my sake, for the sake of the future of my child, for the sake of the future of my nation. 1978, terrorists, hijacked an France aeroplane, but that aeroplane carried about 133 citizens of Israel. They diverted the aeroplane to Entebbe, Entebbe in Uganda. And the terrorists made a demand and told the Prime Minister of Israel, unless you release the 50 Palestinians in your jail, we will kill the 133 Israelis we have here. This is so terrifying. The prime minister doesn't know what to do. One leaders call him and say, friend, obey the voice of the terrorists to save your people. He calls top army commanders and he put this demand before them. And the chief army commander tells the prime minister that is a tactic of the enemy. Even if we release the 50 Palestinian soldiers, they will still kill our people. We must find a way to risk our life. Go into a foreign land and rescue our people. Six days, they put six, 200 soldiers in six large aeroplanes to a country they never knew. What are they going to do? They're going to rescue their people. And within three minutes, after landing in Entebbe, Uganda, three minutes they had killed the seven terrorists. They used four minutes to rescue their people into a safety land. Years later, the man that led that operation was asked, what made you to risk your life? He said these words, it was the future of our nation at stake. And he asked himself, what are soldiers made for? 
Soldiers are made to rescue their people. Soldiers are made to rescue their lives, the lives of their people. So they took serious step to risk their life. And you know, we have been called for a war. You don't see the enemy. So the number one thing they did, we, talk, we take kids away from their parents and their environment to where the only reality is the rhythm and the beats. Donnie was a top musician. He says, they snatched children from your hands. Put them in a hall. And in that hall, they cannot speak what they want them to become. Nebuchadnezzar had the plan. Number two thing he did. They were given over to the chief of the eunuch. And it is a high level possibility that these men, these young Hebrew boys, were castrated. They were made eunuch. Because it was against the law of any king to have men in the palace who are not eunuch. That was to protect the king, the, the queen. So why were they castrated? Two things happened. It was to destroy their sexual identity. So that you have young girls, young boys, growing up in your hands, not understanding their sexuality. You can raise up deformed men, deformed boys, girls who view their bodies as sex objects. People by body belong to the man. That's what they show them in the soap opera. Those soap operas, they have a man, they have a woman, but the women they bring in those soaps will never say no to a man. The man appears and tells her, I love you. The next thing you see in that soap, he kisses her. The third thing you see, he sleeps with her. The people watching the video see them sleep together. The people acting with them in that video don't see them sleep together. What are they doing? Destroy their identity. Bring up young girls who can say no to sex. Bring them with a deformed understanding of sexual purity. Bring them up where a young man will tell you, I don't understand whom I am. I don't understand my life. I look, it seems I am a woman in a man's body. A way to become homosexuals. So when you see churches approve same-sex marriages, bishops sit in a conference and they vote, and they approve same-sex marriage. The problem did not start at the approval level. There was a system that these bishops had been put. They went to theological, to the, theological colleges. They studied theology. They know what should be done. But in the process of time, somebody ensured 
that they grew up understanding homosexuality is okay. I may not be homosexual, but it is okay. When the ACK church in England voted to approve same-sex marriage to be wedded in the church, the number that voted was 250 against 180 who opposed. The first thing you do, you raise up young people who are sexually deformed. Once you do that, then lesbians will rise up. Homosexuals will rise up. Divorce will increase. Pregnancy before marriage will increase. Whatever you want now will come up. He knew what he was doing. Then you can see boys plating their hair. You have rasters, dreadlocks, men with earrings. It is not a fashion. It's not a fashion. The first thing they do, they make you a eunuch, ensuring your understanding about your sexuality is blood. There's no clarity. Number two, why they were castrated? was not just to destroy their sexuality, it was also meant to destroy their future family. So today they focus on weddings, not marriage. So that divorce can rise up. He divorces today, he marries tomorrow. Those, those soap operas they show on the television, that's what they act. He is not happy with his wife because his wife has gained some weight. He's struggling to divorce, divorce him, to, to divorce her. At the side, there's another slim, slender woman. He's not married. And this woman is obsessed with this man. She doesn't care whether she wrecks the marriage. No. Casually, he divorces his wife and then unites with this other woman. Powerful action with great meaning. So, one of the things you do as a parent, you must judge that. You must condemn that. You must bring your daughter, your son to realize and understand the reality of that action. Because that's the time they need. The same-sex unions, neutrality, neutrality in understanding, no value in marriage, abortion begin to increase, pregnancy outside marriage, begin to come in. So we have men in the church. He's married. But secretly, he has another woman. The family is not aware. The wife is not aware. They meet secretly. And when they meet, he tells the woman how his wife is not satisfying his needs. 
And the one says how her husband or how she has come into his life to fulfill the gap. The wife is not meeting. What's happening with you? Your understanding of sexuality was destroyed when you are still young. One day you die. We come to bury you. We find court papers stopping the burial. Another woman comes secretly. The man lying there was also my husband. I have a stake. He already has six children with her. Plus the four you have. All of them fixes them, their eyes in the small property you had believed was all yours. What is happening in our generation? Destroy the family. Put them under arch penance. So what they do? They raise a celebrity. A celebrity. This celebrity, in the form of Ash, Ash Penas, he rises up in the face of this young man and tells him, I'm your model. Like my page. Like my YouTube page. Like my Facebook page. He dresses like a thug. And the young man begins to copy him. That's why you see him with the kind of hair you see him with. He has a role model who tell him to be modern, to be civilized. Look like me. They have a mentor. And that mentor take him through life secretly without you doing. Because the kingdom of darkness, you must raise up an ashpanes, the head of eunuch, that will mentor the boys mentor the girls when the parent is not there. Number three. They were to learn the literature and the language of the Babylonian. That literature in Babylon, the books they had in Babylon, had no law of God. Had no God of heaven. That one was talking about the idols the pagan pattern. So for them to conquer the young person, they took them to the library. They took them to the university because the Bible says they learned that for three years. They went to the university of the pagans to learn the culture and the philosophy and the way of life of the Babylonian. When they came out from that university, the way they understood right and wrong had changed. The way I understood God had changed. And children learn language their parents cannot understand. So in Kenya, 1980s, they introduced the young people to what they call Sheng. Sheng came from Islands in Nairobi. The people who began Sheng were saying, we want a language young people can speak. And their parents will not understand. 
So what do they do? They judge the parent how much they can understand the language of the young. You study that language they call share. It is not in the education system. It's not in your mother tongue. They take the very words you know, give them a new name. That meant you can sit on the dining table eating with your teens. They can talk a language very dirty, the confidence they have. My mother, my father is not getting it. Because you can't take over a nation unless you take over the language. And then, number four, they were assigned daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine he drank. So the question is, why would this king demand that these boys ate the food he ate? What was in the food? There are two things. Why did Daniel refuse that food? He refused because of two things. Number one, the food the king ate formed part of the food they were taught in Jerusalem as defiled food. Part of that food, God had warned them not to eat. And he knew there's no way he's going to go to the state house, to the palace, and choose what to eat. Agreeing means you will eat every food place before you, he made a decision not to eat it. But number two, the reason why he refused to eat this food, he refused because the moment you eat the king's food, you begin to view life from the king's perspective. You begin to understand right and wrong from the king's understanding. It will corrupt your understanding of life. It corrupts your values. It compromises you. You cannot rise up and condemn the wickedness of the king once you eat his food. And that's why when you see the bishop going to the state house, look at his life after that. When you see the bishop organizing prayer meetings for a politician, check their lives after that. They view life, they form the politician's worldview. He will stand in the congregation and say, Sisi ambayo tolepigia rais kura, sisi ndio wa kristo. Awengene ambayo wali vote no, ni wa shetani. That man is not just speaking. Something radical, something so powerful has changed his perception of life. He has transformed him. For you to speak like that as a bishop, for you to speak like that as a pastor, there's a transformation that has taken root in your life, which you, don't, you, you yourself don't understand. But there's power in eating the food of the king. It transforms you in a moment. So the politician will continue in sin, continue doing things which are not godly. The person standing on the pulpit to to, to defend, to protect him is the bishop. Listen to this. A young man called Daniel saw that. He saw it. It's only the bishop in Kenya who may not have seen it. 
Number five. They were issued with new names. The name this man had had a reflection with God. Make them forget God and tradition of their homeland. It was to conform them to the ways and gods of Babylon. Daniel means God my judge. Hananiah, Jehovah is gracious. Mishael, who is what God is. Azariah, Jehovah has helped me. Carefully, there was a system in place to change their names. Those names was the highest level to recruit them into devil worship. The names were intended to recruit them into satanism. The name was intended at the height of it all. They were now to be ushered into devil worship. So what did he do? Daniel, he gave the name Beltashos. Bel is the Babylonian chief idol. Shadrach, command of the Maduk, a Babylonian god. Meshach, who is what Maduk is. The same name he has, who is what God is. He gave them the name, who is Maduk is. Abenego means servant of Nebo, a third Babylonian god. The highest level was now they can be ushered into the satanic world. And that's the process he does. Young people join Illuminati, join devil worship. That's the process they take. By the time this young man is recruited into the inner circle, they have gone through all that process. But the first thing they do, they ensure that there's someone, the boy, the girl, is learning from who is not the parent. So, in our generation, which tools does he use? What's the new Nebuchadnezzar? Number one tool he uses is online or internet community. Internet community is another world. It's a world with people. A world with information. But that world, when you enter into it, no one sees you. No one knows. So a young girl, a young daughter, a young son, can in the middle of the night, you think they're asleep. They have your phone. In Kenya, they like having the mother's phone. Because mothers are not, not normally so much aware what's happening in those phones. So the teenager takes the phone. And in the middle of the night, he enters another world. That world has information, has videos, has people. Secretly, he can chat with strangers watch obscene videos, do everything they want in that world. So that world, the world of the internet, the first thing it does, he take the child out of your hand. So that, and then he make it so secret 
You can't know what they are doing. You can be talking with them and you are just busy. Then it's in another world. That's why they can spend hours and hours with their phone. Because that world is structured like this. It's structured in a way that when you are on Facebook, videos and other pages pops up. The young mind want to open the new page. And as you open it, that page leads to another page, to another page, to another page. So five hours are gone by. In another world, it's not physical. He can communicate with people he will never see in his entire life. And that goes on. Number two, tool. The devil uses today where he passes his greatest teaching and values is in the area of music. It is the main tool the devil uses to destroy young people. Nebuchadnezzar used music to mobilize the worship of the image. Chapter 3 of Daniel, verse 5. We see him build a golden image. The command, if you don't bow down and worship the golden image, you are killed. That was the overall goal of this man. He couldn't do it until he reformed. He brainwashed a generation so that they remained valueless, godless. Nothing remains in their life. They can worship anything. Then chapter 3. This golden image, he commands everyone to worship. The tool he uses to mobilize the world to worship the golden image is music. Xu Qing was an emperor in China 600 years before Christ was born. He ruled over eight provinces. Every day, they say he will travel to every province. But when he goes to a province, he will sit down and listen to the music being played. He will judge the morality of the people of that province by the quality of music they listen to. He understood the power of music. John Dever. Is a rock artist. He says music is a greater influence over the souls of men than the primitive Christianity. That's a big influence in the world. Aristotle, music directly represents the passions of the soul. If one listens to the wrong kind of music, he will become the wrong kind of a person. They know it. Aristotle was not a Christian. He understood the power of music. One of the things you must bring your children to understand is that songs are not entertainment. If you want to preach sex, drugs, devil worship, you put that in the music. Put that in the songs. It is in that music video where they produce women who are naked and dancing on the stage. It is that music video when they show them men taking drugs, taking alcohol. 
is that music video where you have all the signs of the demonic world. The question I want to ask you, have we lost young people or we are still with them? Because it is very difficult to storm that kingdom of the enemy and wrestle children out of his hands. And I want to ask you a question. You as a Christian, are you willing to pay the cost? To pay the price? Because if all of us sit in church and hear someone's being preached with no commitment to reach out to the dying one, I'm sorry to tell you this. This nation will not turn into Islam or to Hinduism. It will turn out to be a theist nation. That's the price you'll pay. Number three, there's a big campaign, lesbian, gazy, bisexual, transgender, LGBT. What we are battling with in our schools right now is young boys and young girls forming homosexual clubs. In one of the schools, I was told, when the girls were leaving, the, the lesbian girls will come and train the girls and they hand over the battle. Their main, their main work is to recruit other girls into lesbianism. They call it Club 69. A very powerful secret movement within the students. Teachers don't know. They'll never disclose that to this principal. Other students know it is going on. None of them is willing to go and report. The moment you report, you'll be marked for bullying. So the fear will take a bold Christian to invade that school. Bring students to sanity. They portray their members as victims and minority groups. So they tell the government, protect us. We are normal human beings. They tell the church, understand us. Don't preach against us. Don't ridicule us. Just keep quiet. As the church keeps quiet, it thrives. Within no time, you'll find a generation will stand against you. Not that they are homosexual. They will stand against you because they don't see anything wrong about homosexuality. Are you still here? Muko? Oh, you know, I'm worried. You look very tired. <laughs> then there are the false teachers, false prophets. They will sell water sell brooms, talk about altar, talk about all these good things people want to hear. So what do we see? The next, the next, do the next.
What I wanted to ask us, ourselves again, can the church win this battle? You as a father, can you win this war? Mm. There are three things which are against us as we rise up to win the war. Number one, the way the churches are structured, the studies are showing, you can enlarge it a bit, the studies are showing that Christian faith are not skilled to pass on their faith in a way that the child will grow believing in that faith. It shows that cultic groups are more skilled in passing on their religion to their children in a way that it is not very easy to win it. Just go back a bit. Where they have the percentages. And this study I got from the Pew Research Center. They did this in 2014. They found out that the religion that skillfully passes its faith to the, its young generation in a way that they don't depart from it is the Hindu faith. That's not very easy for a Hindu child when they grow up to depart from Hinduism unless they are saved. Followed by the Jews, the Muslim, the Mormon, the Catholic Church. Then you look at the Baptist, the Lutheran, the Pentecostal, the figure goes low. Because most Christian churches, most Pentecostal churches, even the Sunday school is empty. There's no program. There's no focus. There's no intention. Well, the Catholic, you become a Catholic, they have catechism, which they take you through, which build you in their faith. Most of the Christian denominations have nothing. Nothing. The Sunday school is normally taught by people who are volunteers who can come and not come. So young people growing up knowing they don't know God. They can't testify. They can't defend their faith. Even the family set up, the only thing this father does with his family is oh, everyone wants to sleep. We are tired. <laughs> Pray for us a short prayer. Let's go to sleep. We go to sleep. Children have never seen him studying the Bible. When he wants to study the Bible, he has his phone. He's on Facebook. He's on YouTube. He's on your WhatsApp. Children are looking at him. No role model. No value. No stability. How will they learn to pray if the father of the house, they have never seen the father pray? Number two odds we have. Number two thing we have. Observable global decline in the Christian faith. If you study Christianity all over the world, the impact is not growing. People can identify with the Christian faith in any nation. It's going low. Asia Minor, 400, BC, 400 AD, 
400 years after Christ's death, that nation, Asia Minor, was 98% Christian. It was criminal for you not to carry a Bible. Not going to church was a capital offense. You'd be punished by the state. In the marketplace, when you walk, you must head a Bible. The only religion those people knew in Asia Minor, and that was a product of the ministry of Paul, the book of Acts says he visited Asia Minor up to five times. He produced such a powerful movement which lived 400 years after him. The largest church was found in Asia Minor. The seven churches John is writing to were in Asia Minor. That Asia Minor is today called Turkey. And Turkey is 3.5% Islam. Where did they lose it? Where did they mess it? Who sold that nation to Islam? Not the devil. The Christian. In Britain, this is data is from the Office for National Statistics, a government agency. They did a study, 2011, asking people with faith they identify with. 2011, 59% of the population identified with Christianity. They did the same research 10 years later. The number, the number declined to 46%. The number that showed an increase are the, is the population that said we belong to no religion. That number, 2011, was 25%. Ten years later, it had moved to 37%. What is facing us is that not many people value Christianity. And when that is happening, the devil is ahead with the battle. Is ahead. His aim is not to make people become Muslims and Hindus. His aim is to make everyone become non-religious. With that, he can now speak his values, turn them to what he wants them to be. He will have the same same human being protecting him against you. Lastly, lastly, this war is not easy because most Christians have no interest at all in high school work. What made me come to high school ministry? I was a leader in the church. I was a young convert class teacher. I was head of discipleship in my church. One day in the staff room, a brother called Paul Kimani had served with high school mission in Kisumu. He shared in the staff room what they used to do 
And as he was sharing, something was burning in my heart. That is what I want to do in my life. That's what I want to do. That's what I want to do. When I joined Arobi team, there was, we were only 10. So I told my pastor, I can't continue in leadership. There's a great work outside. I will be faithful in church. I will come to church. I will support the church. Yesterday I was in this meeting and my wife was in the church, library. We are in the church. But there was a bigger need which needed me. I left everything to focus on this. One of the challenge in high school mission, student and children ministry not a priority in most churches. Student ministry has been turned to entertainment. Celebrity focus, they use celebrity to pull the young people. There's no discipleship. The result is that we have so many students not saved leading Christian Union. Students getting saved many times. And more and more teachers are being ordained local pastors. Or their wives become the wife of pastors. Yesterday when I was talking to leaders, I made it clear to them that this, if God has called you to be a pastor, it's a great call. It's a great call. But why don't we have people who are also saying, I will be faithful in church, committed in church, doing everything as a member of the local church, but my time, this one, I'll donate to high school. What opportunity do we have? Three opportunities we have which should help us as a nation. Number one, the legal framework in Kenya is supporting high school mission. Be it Constitution, Education Act. Paul says, for a great and effective door has opened to me and there are many adversaries. There's a great door God has opened to us as a church, as a nation. But you need to know there will be opposition. The only thing will we rise up and fight the war of life. Number two, opportunity we have. God uses children and the youth. In Joel he says, I will pour out my spirit on all people your sons and daughters will prophesy. God himself focuses on using young people to reach the world for Jesus. But before they do that, someone must go to a school, win souls, get them Christ, make them Christians, disciple them, they release them to win their peers. Somebody must make that first step. John the Apostle I have written unto you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abided in you. And you have overcome the wicked one. This apostle had great hope, great belief in young men that the enemy cannot destroy them. 
because God wants to use their life. But somebody must reach out. Number three, the opportunity we have. We have a young population. A young population. 2019, Kenya housing and population, we have close to 2.7, 2.8 young people between the age of 0 to, zero to 24. What do you do that young man? But the biggest opportunity we have is the school. Look at that data of the school. The school data. You see that data? If you add the children in ECD, primary and secondary, it leads to 20 million. So look at me for a moment. I'm not talking about missionaries to go preach in America. Mm -mm. No. I'm talking about people who live and go and help their nation. Kenya. What will happen to Kenya if we get that 20 million to be Christians? If you study the schools that I've given you, 68% of the schools are owned by the church. 68%. Out of the 68%, 21% are owned by the Catholic Church alone. The remaining is 47% controlled by the Protestants and the Pentecostals. The question I want to ask you here, what will happen to Kenya if 45% of the 20 million were brought to Christ every year? How does it begin? It begins by a one person saying, I will go to that school once a week. Once a week. It doesn't have to be a Sunday. Sunday you will be needed here. I will organize my work in my workplace to have afternoon on this day for me to go to school. It starts like that. One person. That's what I did. I was working for an NGO. I will organize my work to ensure that from Friday afternoon I am free. Part of that afternoon, I will go to a head office in Westlands. Because I'm a professional accountant, they could not afford to pay a professional accountant. So I will go to offer my services as an accountant to the head office. I will prepare the books. Then Saturday and Sunday, I'll be out. That meant I had to agree with my employer that from this time, I shall have completed my work on, on Thursday, on Friday afternoon, I am free. I did that. How do you get involved? There are three ways you can get involved. Number one, practice your faith at home. Let your Christianity 
be known? Can your wife stand before people and say, the man who is my husband is a Christian? Can your wife, can your husband say, the woman I'm married to is a Christian? If we call your children secretly, what testimony do they have? The first thing of winning the war, be a Christian at home. Let your faith work for you. Number two, how to win this war? Make school ministry your core calling. Because that's where the young people are. May God speak into your heart clearly. Make this a burden in your heart. And say, I may not know what it, what it entails. I may not know how to speak. I may not know how to answer the questions young people will ask me. But here in my little life, oh God, I lay it before you. Use my life. Use my life before I die. In April, we had about 23 camps. In one week, I visited 14 of them in one week. I was not touring the nation. I drive myself. I don't have a driver. Years ago, a young man not married, I wrestled with God and told God one thing. Use my life before I turn 30. I was not 30 then. Use my life. And I told God, never allow me to get old before I achieve all that you intend for my life. I never knew God will place me in KCF to achieve that prayer. What are you praying for? Churches are full of people praying, God bless me. And the blessing they pray for is money. And uh, do, do what? Enlarge my territory, God. Bless my children. Bless my husband. Who beats you every day? Bless my husband. Bless my wife. <laughs> When you are praying for money, listen, God could be saying, I have given you enough. What you have, I have not given so many people. Maybe you just need to pray for me. What the prayer you need to pray, God. How do I employ my money in your service? Maybe that's the prayer you should be praying. The profit you are getting in your business is, is more than enough. Say, God, thank you for the, promi the, pro the, the profit I've received. 10% of it, committedly, I will remit to the work of God. Maybe that's the prayer you need to pray. And you know one thing? In Matthew chapter 25, 
Jesus talks about three men who are given talent. The master called his servants, and three of them come up. One is given five, one is another two, another one. Many years later, the servant come back, calls the, the master come back, call the servants, and tell them, give an account of the talent I gave you. The first guy says, you gave me five. I traded with it. I have five more. Second man says, you gave me two. I traded with it. I have two more. I have four. The third guy comes and tells the master, I know you are very mean. You reap where you did not sow. I took your talent and hid it in the ground. The master calls him lazy, lazy, and wicked servant. Why was he called lazy? He didn't steal the talent. He didn't misuse the talent. He didn't destroy the talent. When the master came, the talent was as the way it was given many, many years ago. It was intact. Yet he was called lazy and wicked. Do you know why? Let me tell you why. This man was given five talents. He knew the talent does not belong to me. This talent I've been given is for the benefit of others. I can use it to make life possible. Expand the kingdom of God with my talent. He did it. But the other guy, he knew very well the talent was not his. He went and hid it. Hiding it is like people in a desert. People in a desert. And you are told that this bottle of water you see here is able to give life to a thousand people. This water here. Just by sipping it, kidogo. Another person sips it. Then you can live in the desert. If you know this water, a thousand people in the desert will depend on it to survive, to live. And then you hide it. And those a thousand people die. That is the wickedness. That is the wickedness. That the talent in the first Corinthians chapter 12, they are called gifts. That the gifting God has given you, if you don't use it for the benefit of humanity, it will turn out to be your wickedness. Think about this for a moment. Jonah is called by God with a clear instruction, go to Nineveh, preach my word. 40 days I'll destroy that nation. What would have happened to Nineveh if Jonah hid his talent? Would happen to Nineveh. He would have been told the prophet, I gave you to be a prophet. I gave you my word. But millions of Ninevites died because you buried your talent. Heaven, hell will not be full of prostitutes. Hell will not be full of thieves. Hell will not be full of murderers. Hell could be full of Christians 
who are given talent. They hide it. Millions of people are dying. They're enjoying life. When I was in Baragoi, I went to Baragoi in 2019. The reason I was going to Baragoi, a school called Tomb Girls had sent 32 students to our camp in CIA, 2018. So when we drew the list, I felt so touched. I said, I must go to Tomb Girls. Baragoi is about 112 kilometers from Maralal. Tomb Girls is 52 kilometers from Baragoi. We drove on a terrain which looked like a road, it's not a road. Our vehicle broke down three times. And then, when we were wondering how to repair the tires, another picky picky man comes and tells us, no, you can't go back to Maralal to repair the tires. I can carry you in my picky picky. Take you to Baragoi. We will sort out the vehicle later on. He told me that here in Samburu, we don't steal cars. We only steal cows. So your vehicle is safe. <laughs> your vehicle is what? Safe. So we left Maralal 6 a.m. And we were reaching Baragoi 6 p.m. Very exhausted. So tired. The brethren gives us a room at Baragoi Girls to sit, but our heart is burning to go to Tomb Girls. We are told it's 52 kilometers away. Then as we are resting, a man comes to greet us. And he tells me, I know you don't know me, but I know you. I teach at Tomb Girls. Now you can't reach Tomb Girls. But they were the rally, so I brought the girls here for you to meet you. And it tells me one thing. In my school, we only have 60 students, the population. Anytime we go out, the school does not support us. We support ourselves. So when the girls in tomb girls were going to, to, to CIA, each student raised 10,000 shillings. That shocked my life. But this brother tell me another thing. He said, every twice a month, I borrow the school van and I drive it to Baragoi Town. Bar Baragoi Town has seven schools with no CU patron. No one to reach there. He drives there and from Friday to Sunday, he visits every school to preach to the student, organize the CUs, train the leaders. He does that twice a week and he filled the school van 1,500. What happens? This man is multiplying his talent. May the Lord help you to multiply your talents. The last thing, be consistent giver. Where's the, where's the envelope you have here? Be consistent givers. You see, this is the only church where we have KCF as the mission. And they are faithfully remitting the money. For them to do that, there must be individuals in this church who know why they are giving. You are not giving to receive a blessing. They must know that you are giving to reach a soul for Jesus. You know, last weekend, but one I was in Tanariva. The reason I was going to Tanariva was to organize the team. 
so that they focus the ministry. One of the teachers who came to that training had traveled 30 kilometers. And when he heard us talk about high school mission, teachers were crying because they are just lazing around there. They don't know their work. So we went and went to challenge them to take the work seriously to understand that God has made them missionaries in that area for the sake of the Kushites and the young boys and girls living there who no one will ever reach with the gospel until those teachers lay down their life for the sake of the cross. And therefore, you don't give once. You don't wait until the pastor preach on giving to give. As a family, you sit down and say, this much, every month, every week, we'll give to the church. By doing that, you are, you are participating in the preaching of the gospel with your money. These are the only ways available to win the battle of our children. The only way. So serving God requires three things. I know you're looking at the watch. Oh, you don't look at them here. Thank you. You know, somebody can be seated here and is thinking of Kanyama yake alipika anafikiri paka imekula. Kuna paka inajambika kwa window hivi, inajambika kwa window yako. Na huku ufunga hiyo window. <laughs> well, you have lunch. Pay attention to this. Serving God requires three things. Three important things. How many of us seated here, your heart's desire is God to use you. How many? You have a strong desire that God, before I turn 50, before I turn 60, before I turn 70, before I go to the grave, use everything in me which you had put in my life. Let me not appear before you one day and you tell me, Joseph, Joseph, look at that. Look at that. You see that one? It's what I put in you to achieve. You didn't. Because you feared. You didn't believe in me. You were not willing to sacrifice. I gave all to you. Look at the masses going to hell. Because of what I gave you, you did not use it. That's the, that is the tragedy facing this man who buried his talent. It's before God now. And God is looking at him and saying, look at what I gave you. It is little God. It's only 100,000. It's only 20,000. Father, it, it, it is little. There's no way I can do I'm planning to start doing it next year. No. That's the desire. Number one thing, this man who are going to change the world need, it requires faithful men faithful women. There are women who says, I'll be going to these three schools. They are faithful. They don't wait for Agnes to call and ask, did you go? No. 
they will call Agnes and say, today I have finished the three schools. They give a report. They give a report to the church. Faithfulness. There are men and women who know that when you say at two, I'll be in that school, the students are waiting, they don't call you, you arrive 30 minutes before. Faithful men. There are people who are consistent in their giving. They don't wait for somebody to say, if you give 2,000, God will give it 10,000. If you give 5,000, we are praying right now, that man is going to be multiplied. 100 is coming your way this week. 100 is coming your way, say amen, amen, and the people shout. Mm -mm. That is not faithfulness. That is conmanship. These are men who believe in a cause. A man by the name, Adoniram Judson, was the first missionary from the United States who went to a place called Burma in India. Before he went to Burma, he engaged, he got engaged to a young woman, and his desire was to carry this young woman to the mission field. He had a very clear call that I will not use in America, I'll use in Burma in India. He had not gone there, he didn't know the place. The only thing he was trusting on the God of heaven who had spoken to him. But before he go, he convinces the, 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 the father of this girl to allow him to take his daughter to the mission field. The father refuses. Say, the comfort I've given my daughter, I can't leave her to go to a foreign land. I want to raise my daughter in America. One day, after struggling many years, he writes a letter to the father. I tell the father, you are standing between the destiny of your child and the call God wanted her to achieve. It is upon you to decide, he told the father. But know this, if you release the daughter in my hand, expect two things. Number one, to lose all the comfort she has in the United States. Let her know, let yourself know that your daughter will go to a land with no health care, no school, no medicine, no food, no houses. That's the life you are releasing her to. But number two, you need to, be, to, you, you need to know, Father, that one day this daughter of yours may not come alive. I might bring her to you in a coffin. But you still have to make a decision about her future. These words pierce the heart of the father. Reluctantly, he releases the daughter. They go to Burma. Six years, the minister, nobody me, came to the Lord. Nobody got saved. In the course of time, their three children die. Adonram Judson is arrested by Burmese authority for one and a half years. When he came from jail, he continued to labor. And in the process of laboring, he has lost the three children, fighting the fight of faith to win these people from idolatry to Christianity. He loses his life, his wife. His wife dies. And as he said several years ago, he cut the wife in a coffin back to the father. He's so devastated. 
But one day, he's going through some papers in his house, and he finds a letter written by the, by the wife describing the life in Burma. And the wife asks a question. Who will go to Burma to rescue them from idolatry? And the husband says, I felt God was, uh, was sitting before me, was, was standing before me to say those words. He collects himself again to the mission work in Burma. He ministers. 38 years, Adondo Judson died. In his funeral, they began to read his success. They said, by the time he died after 38 years, 70,000 Burmese had been baptized into the faith of Jesus Christ. 168 churches had been started. 163 missionaries had been sent to Burma. Think about this. What would have happened to Burma if Judson buried his gift? Faithfulness. Number two, agency. What you can do today, don't procrastinate to next month. If God is laying that burden to you right now, I don't know if they have, a, if they have a, a place to write. Do they have a place they write their name? Go down there and write your name. Don't say, I'll do it next Sunday. I'll do it next month. If God is putting in your heart to give, do it now. I know you have given, isn't it? Do it again. Whatever you can do. After this year, 900,000 boys and girls shall have left high school. They will never be in our hands. So whatever you can do now, start tomorrow. Start tomorrow. Because you do not know who will get saved tomorrow when you go. Do it faithfully. Do it with urgency. And lastly, do it sacrificially. If it's not going to cost you anything, don't get involved. If it's not going to cost you anything, don't get involved. When they call me to be the general secretary of KCF, I'm about to retire. I knew that office. I was the national treasurer, volunteering. We knew that office had no money. Staff will take four, year, four months before they are paid. I knew that. But the call was to leave my comfort job and meet a need. So when we made a decision for me to general secretary, we made two major decisions. Number one was to remove our children from private schools to public school. That's a decision we made. Number two was to come out from our house. Because now I'm not sure if they're going to pay or not. Came out from our house to a small little house. Why? The call of God requires sacrifice. 
the call of God requires sacrifice. When we were driving to Moyale, I was coming from Kisi in our camp. I came to Nairobi 1 a.m. in the morning. But I had to leave to go to Moyale. So we left Nairobi about 10 a.m. We were reaching Marsa at 12 a.m. in the morning. We slept. But at 4, we woke up. Because it's about five hours Moyale from Marsabit. So we drove so fast. I was doing 160. But as we drive with a brother called Nicholas from Meru, we stopped on the road just to see the landscape. What we saw from Marsabit to Moyale were mosques. There were no churches. And this began to hit me. And I began to think, young people being born in Marsabit, how will they come to the, know the Lord Jesus Christ if you don't even have churches there? Somebody must come out of their church and say, I'll reach out for them. It will require sacrifice. Listen, people of God, these are the quality we need to rescue the young man the young girl from the jaws, from the claws, from the mouth of the lion. The picture is David. He sees the lion tearing the sheep, tearing the sheep. He says, before he killed the sheep, he killed me first. Before. Before they destroy young people, then they destroy me first. Men and women who will lay their life, who will sacrifice, who will live every comfort of their life and say that with, the, with what the Lord has given me, I will lay my life for the sake of my nation, for the sake of the kingdom of God. I will do it, not for my own benefit, but for every generation. Because if you don't do it, the price, the price is so high. Nobody can, can imagine the price. Go ask people living in Turkey. Go ask people living in America. Go ask people living in Morocco. Go ask people living in Bangladesh. All those historically, they were Christian nations. Young people now being born in those countries, they cannot even relate that our nation, our country was a dominant Christian country. Somebody who was a Christian in that generation, carefully sold the nation to satanism. Now they're paying the price. We lost. And in Kenya, if you're going to succeed, men and women who are faithful, who will serve God with urgency, this man must be willing to sacrifice. 